the Irish Times business podcast in association with Irish Life. Supporting companies and their employees for 75 years. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Hello and welcome to Inside Business with Kieran Hancock, a podcast from the Irish Times. Don't forget that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. Now, plans by permanent TSB and AIB to sell off about €7 billion Euros worth of non-performing mortgage loans to vulture funds has created a political storm. Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and Ross McGuire of New Beginnings join me in studio later to tease out what this means for thousands of homeowners across the country who will be affected by this move. But first, I'm joined by Irish Times business reporter Peter Hamilton for a run-through of the main news stories of the week. Now, Peter, thank you for joining us. We're going to start with property this week and Cairn Homes and some difficulties they've been having getting a a water supply to their site in Maynooth. Indeed, it's it's not just with the water supply. They spoke to the Department of Finance back in November and they mentioned that of the 30 sites they have at the moment, they couldn't build or they can't build on, on 19 of those. And they also warned the department and the minister at that time that there are few apartments going to come on stream in Ireland over the next couple of years. Now, they have a, a few issues. One of those was the water pipe. They have resolved that with Irish Water and they're going to pay for part of the pipe cost on a minute site. But Do we the, know how the, much? Uh, we don't know how much they're going to pay for it, but the, the pipe is about two kilometres. It has slowed the development to some degree and it's a development that will have around 400 residential homes on it, uh, as well as some students. So it's a big site. It is a big site and it's beside Minute University. Now, they also told the Minister that they had issues in Clonbourish, Cherrywood and uh, on Brennanstown Road. So a few problems there for Cairn. And Cairn will be one of the bigger uh, property developers in the, Ireland at the minute. They are indeed, yeah. Very and, well capitalised uh, on the stock market. It's raised a lot of money over recent years and it's bought a lot of sites. And, and have other issues indeed. They've they've run into issues that they did last week as we spoke about in Stillorgan with uh, objectors there. Oh um, yes, describing their plans to replace the Blake's, the former Blake's restaurant as something of a monstrosity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're planning and, some and, student and, and accommodation for that. Okay, now talk to us about Kennedy Wilson because uh, they focus their activities largely around Dublin but it looks as if they're going to be making their first strike into the regions. Yeah, this would be quite a big departure for the US group and it's understood that they are uh, they, they're, they're going to buy the Elysian Tower in Cork from Blackstone that 17 storey 217 apartment block is uh, the the, mm. big, the largest building in Ireland we understand and, and I think Ken- it's one storey higher than Liberty Hall. Is it right? Okay, very good. Uh, and uh, and Kennedy Wilson apparently uh, in the mix to take yeah. that over from And, from and people might recall that deletion was uh, originally developed by Michael O'Flynn who ended up in NAMA. Um, NAMA sold on his loans to Blackstone. There was a bit of a row there and anyway, it ended up in the ownership of, of Blackstone but it looks now as if Kennedy Wilson are, are going to become the new owners. Uh, and then there's some, uh, there's an issue in Kiltiernan as well. Uh, Receiver seeking permission for more than 140 homes there. That's right. A site linked to Michael and Martin Doran of Ellen Construction. Uh, the receivers there are looking to build 98 houses and 43 apartments. They've applied for those under the uh, Strategic Housing Development Rules and that could be in train by May if this moves along. There are a lot of these stories coming out where... This uh, is fast-track planning, essentially. This, yeah, this will, yeah, this would be fast-track. So so there, there are a lot of these in train that if they come to pass, we could have a, a fairly decent uh, development pipeline by the middle of this year if a lot of these developments come All to right. pass. Any sense of how the local residents feel about 98 houses and 43 apartments being built on this site? I'm, I'm not entirely sure how they feel about this particular one, but uh, as always, residents... 
uh, have something to, to moan yeah, they over. Can have, they can have, uh, well, they can have fairly strong views. <laughs> so, can, sometimes justified. <laughs> sometimes justified. Um, okay, let's uh, switch to the central bank and insurance. Uh, perhaps not a great week for uh, Philip Lane. No. We had a report uh, in the newspaper on Monday about how um, staff in the central bank feel that you know, the level of leadership uh, within the central bank uh, isn't perhaps what it might be. And then um, Pascal Donoghue went to Brussels to meet with his fellow finance ministers and he took the decision, I presume, after doing uh, a whirl of the room, he took the decision to withdraw Philip Lane's nomination for this uh, position of vice president. That's right. There there have been somewhat of a reversal of fortunes for Philip Lane this week. If we look at that report, first of all, the central bank staff survey uh, that, that fell short of the score for the central bank to be accredited as a, a great place to work. And there was work done or work to be done to improve leadership there, according to Philip Lane. Then on the other issue, where he, mm. he was nominated for um, the uh, European Central Bank vice presidency, uh, Minister Donoghue withdrew him in the interest of consensus. And that's something that could be perhaps slightly damaging for Louis de Guindos because at the uh, Economic and Monetary Affairs Committee, they found Lane to be more convincing. But Donoghue was confident that Lane would be able to serve the ECB at some stage in the future. Here he is talking to reporters on Monday in Brussels. He's done an excellent job in the Irish Central Bank, already done some very valuable work in the European Central Bank. And I believe those qualities uh, will uh, allow him to continue very important work in Europe in the future. We'll deal with other elections when they come along and as they come along. Uh, But for this evening, uh, it's important the decision happen on the basis of consensus. And in order to preserve uh, the value of consensus uh, amongst all of my colleagues, uh, I'm uh, uh, looking forward to supporting Finance Minister de Guindos this evening. Okay, well, there's always political machinations uh, at play with this, uh, Peter. So is this effectively a tactical withdrawal by Pascal Donoghue, keeping his powder dry for one of the positions down the road, uh, one of which I think next up is probably the position of chief economist? That that seems to be the play here, putting Lane forward for chief economist. It's not sure how how that'll turn out. Uh, Some... Soundings already are suggesting that they may be looking for a woman for that role. Um, so, so it's not clear how that will yeah, play okay. out. But. I mean, one thing we can say is uh, I think Philip Lane is well got at the European Central Bank in Frankfurt. So um, anyway, uh, all right, we'll move on from there. The, the Central Bank also had some news during the week. They've, uh, they've insisted that uh, New Zealand insurance company that most people won't prefer to call CBL, that they stop writing business. That's right. The authorities in New Zealand concluded that they needed to raise capital to shore up their claim reserves in their uh, the French construction insurance business. Now, CBL has around 12,500 customers here, or the 12,500 Irish policies, rather. CBL lawyers now are opposing the Central Bank's plan it's not, it's not clear how that'll play out. Uh, it's not clear if they will be allowed to, to start writing business again. One would presume not in the short term. Uh, in other insurance news, perhaps mm. slightly better news for consumers, uh, at least on Post, are looking to double their share of the market. They have around 92,000 motor insurance policies here at the moment. And uh, they've agreed a deal with FPD to, to underwrite motor insurance policies. Yeah, OK. Well, that's interesting. And if you're a foodie, you might find some of this uh, news to be quite exciting. Jamie's uh, Italian, the Irish franchise holder here, has uh, uh, revealed plans for a second restaurant in Dublin. This is in spite of Jamie Oliver's uh, Italian restaurant chain running into significant problems uh, in the UK. I think they've closed half the chain. And his steakhouse has also uh, run into financial difficulties. A number of problems there. They are closing up to 12 sites in the UK. He's had to put in some of his own money. Here, though, the franchise holder says he's nearly there on a second site, hopes to open that in the next six months or so. And that'll complement the first site that was in Dundrum in 2012. Uh, In other 
restaurants and foodie news, people may be pleased to learn that the New York group Le Pan Quotidien is, is planning to open beside the Ivy in one Molesworth Street. That's hip hip hooray. That's also going to be the home to Barclays. Well, <laughs> some addition to the area, I'm sure people will be pleased with that. They've agreed to rent their 55 euro per square foot with, with oh, that's uh, quite green saucy. reach. It's not bad. It's not, yeah, it's not that bad. suggests for green that reach. the food there and, and beverages that will be on offer will not be cheap. I'm sure <laughs> we never know. They already have an outlet in Kildare, so if people want to go down to, to, to that to try it out. And <laughs> okay. And talking, uh, mentioning the Ivy, um, they've begun recruitment for they what have. they have described, I think, as an iconic restaurant in this new building yeah. on Molster Street. Indeed they have. They're targeting the masses here in the iconic but accessible Ivy in Dublin. Uh, they're set to open this summer. They're, they've started recruiting and they're looking for a manager, an assistant manager and a bar manager with a passion for creating high-end cocktails. No doubt that'll appeal to the bankers in the building just above. Well, how exciting. Yeah. All right. Peter, thank you as always for that roundup. Okay, we're going to take a short break now. When we return, we'll be talking about the sale of billions of euros of non-performing loans by permanent TSB and AIB. Back in a few moments. Only 29% of us know how much we need to live on in retirement. Irish Life is changing that with Empower, a new approach to company pensions that helps change the way your employees think about their future. For more, go to irishlifeempower.ie or talk to your pension consultant. We know Irish Life. We are Irish Life. Irish Life Assurance PLC is regulated by the Central Bank of Ireland. All information sourced for Irish Life June 2015. Welcome back. This is Inside Business with Kieran Hancock. Let me remind you that you can subscribe to this podcast for free on iTunes and it's also available on our website, irishtimes.com forward slash podcasts. I'm joined now in studio by Cliff Taylor of the Irish Times and Ross McGuire, a senior counsel and co-founder of New Beginnings, to talk about plans by permanent TSB and AIB to sell billions of euros worth of non-performing mortgage loans. Now, Cliff Taylor, uh, perhaps you could set the scene for us and just explain about these portfolio sales that permanent TSB and AIB in particular are planning. Yeah, uh, basically the banks are under pressure from uh, the European regulator to reduce the bad loans on their loan books. And these are really loans, a lot of them dating back to the to the economic crash. People who had mortgages. The clues in the name, I suppose, non-performing. Non-performing uh, loans, yeah. People who had mortgages who ran into difficulties for one reason or another. Some residential, some buy to let. Uh, people who lost jobs or mm. were caught up in negative equity or whatever. But for one reason or another, the banks still have a large chunk of non-performing loans on their loan books. Now, you could argue that these should have been dealt with much more rapidly by the banks and indeed by the Irish legal system. But both have been, I guess, very slow to address the issue, which which is you know politically difficult because uh, legal action often ends in repossession of houses, uh, involves people losing their homes. Obviously, politically difficult. So for, for, for that reason and for... I suppose for the reason for the scale, because of the scale of the problem and the scale of the crash, uh, the Irish system has been slow to deal with this, and the banks have a large chunk of non-performing loans left in their loan books. They're under pressure from the regulator to reduce the non-performing loans. The problem with having non-performing loans on your loan book is it, it affects your balance sheet. It means you can't lend uh, as you would otherwise uh, as a bank to new borrowers. Uh, so these non-performing loans are acting as a drag uh, and the regulator also feels they're, they're a risk in the, in the future to have them stuck on bank loan books. Yeah, Now, mind you, the, the, the mortgage market in Ireland is uh, increasing. Uh, yeah. Quite significantly, it's it is, growing yeah. quite significantly. Okay, from a low base uh, after the crash, but yeah. it is growing quite significantly. And AIB have made a lot of headway on that front. I mean, they're the biggest mortgage player. Now Absolutely, yeah, they, they they are, and and I think you know you, you certainly couldn't argue that um, loans are not available to Irish borrowers at the moment. Uh, you could possibly argue that they should be available on slightly better terms and on slightly better interest yeah. rates. The interest rates being offered to borrowers here are still above the average across the eurozone. And, 
one of the reasons put forward for that is that the banks have had such difficulty dealing with non-performing loans as well as of course of having this large back of tr- batch of uh, tracker loans on their on, on their books on which uh, uh, on which they don't make much money and or, or, or lose money in fact so f- for all those reasons um, they are under pressure I think permanent TSB is pretty much a standout case as you know as you're writing in your column this morning 28% of its loan book is non-performing that is very high by by any standards uh, it is obviously a bank that is almost completely concentrated on the Irish market on the Irish mortgage market uh, so you know it is particularly exposed and I think we could speculate well we don't know what's going on behind the scenes we could speculate that it is under particular pressure from 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 regulators to from the regulators the uh, the ECB regulatory arm to to deal with this you know Ireland hasn't been picked out here this is a kind of across Europe Mm. Uh, push well, to try and reduce these bad loans. What happens if they say to Frankfurt, well, thank you very much for telling us to do this, but in fact there are local considerations of all sorts of yeah. uh, degrees in Ireland uh, and we simply can't follow through on that. But we're okay. We're, you know, we're <laughs> profitable again. We're lending again. Yeah. We're, we're doing okay. And well, ar- ar- so give us time. Yeah, arguable, wh- arguable what could happen. But I mean, one of the risks is that uh, it is the the ECB, the single single supervisory mechanism, which is the supervisory arm of the ECB, which sets the rules for banks. It sets the rules for how much capital they must hold in their balance sheets. So arguably, if the banks didn't play ball in reducing their non-performing loans, they could be obliged to hold more capital on the balance sheet. In future, they could be uh, obliged to pay out less by way of dividends to shareholders. The capital could be, you know, effectively trapped. There could be Mm. Not a concern to hold for more capital. TSB, mind you, because they haven't paid the dividends. Since, no, no, they haven't since indeed. indeed have. But I, but I suppose AIB has, yeah. uh, Bank of Ireland has, and and uh, you know permanent TSB. I suppose is trying to chart its way back to some kind of normality. Uh, one chunk of share shareholding was was sold down. The the state would no doubt like to sell more of its shareholding down in time. I don't think that's going to happen in the short term, but you know it would hope to do so in the long term, and that there would be some value. In the seventy-five percent of uh, of permanent TSB that that the state still owns, yeah. and, and I guess getting cleaning up its balance sheet as part of of releasing that value. Uh, the flip side of that, obviously, as we've seen in the debate that's emerged in the last few days, is the huge political furore. Uh, you know, whatever about the whatever about the reality of whatever difference uh, in 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 terms and conditions that our, our our approach that the borrower would face if the loans were sold. Politically, this is, you know, it's toxic because uh, loans are being sold on to vulture funds. Okay. Vulture funds are being seen as the, you know, having made a killing on the Irish commercial property market already in the wake of the in the wake of the crash, you know, buying uh, property from NAM and from the banks and, and selling it on at a, at a huge profit. So, uh, and also controversially, I've paid, a lot of them have paid very little tax here. So the politics of this are clearly toxic. Yeah. Uh, Ross McGuire, Fianna Fáil has uh, certainly made some political capital out of all of this. Um, they're very opposed to these loan sales taking place, these so-called vulture funds being able to buy up these residential mortgages. And they've called their own regulators. I know the uh, maybe the firms that are administering these loans on their behalf are regulated, but the actual uh, owners are not. Uh, and Fianna Fáil are saying that it's time to regulate um, these owners. But you're not so sure why. Well, the first thing to say is, in fact, some of them are regulated. So, for example, Apollo which is one of the big players, uh, its European arm is Lapithus, and Lapithus is a regulated entity in the state. So that's one example. Oak Tree, the big, uh, sorry, Lone Star, the big US fund, operates through start mortgages here. It's regulated. So there are some of them regulated, some of them not. Those that are not regulated can't deal with loans. They can own them, but they can't deal with them unless they operate through a regulated entity. Uh, this is the credit servicing firm. Exactly. So yeah. the likes of a Capita, maybe? Capita, Pepper, Pepper, there are a few of them there, and they are properly regulated. 
And uh, it goes further, the law goes further than that. It says, if I, as the owner of a loan, uh, tell my servicer, listen, uh, just enforce against Kieran. we want to take his home, I'm committing a criminal offence and I can go to jail for five years. So uh, the law is quite strict as it is. So what they're talking about is another layer of regulation. And if there was a problem and if there was, this was going to solve the problem, then fair enough. But I'm not sure what the problem Fianna Fáil are identifying is and I'm not sure what solution they think more regulation is going to be to a problem that I don't see existing. Yeah. Now, through your work with New Beginnings, you've obviously had a lot of contact with debtors who've uh, run into financial difficulty for one reason or another over the past uh, decade or so since the crash. In terms of those people, what difference does it make to them uh, if their loan is owned by permanent TSB? or their loan is owned by ex-vulture fund? Yeah, well, contractually, there's no difference. Um, In terms of the legal process, there's no difference. In terms of their right to go into personal insolvency, there's no difference. The only place where there's a difference is in their interaction with the fund or with the bank. So in terms of interaction, the funds are far more proactive. You'll get to speak to somebody. You'll be able to speak to that same person again and again. They won't want to hang around and wait for years while you decide what to do. They will be pushy in terms of coming up with solutions. And then in terms of um, the solutions they'll offer, they'll differ from the banks. Uh, In some cases, they'll be better, and in some cases, they will be worse. Um, So there is a difference, but you're not, in my view, uh, materially disadvantaged by it, mainly because you've got the protection of the personal insolvency system and the protection of the court. So if, for example you felt that the only way you could afford your mortgage was to get some sort of a debt write-down and the funds said we're not giving it to you, um, you could go into the personal insolvency system and a court could then enforce that debt write-down on the fund. And in fact, interestingly enough, the only, um, apart from the kind of rules and regulations, assuming you're, you're the system, you, you, you put in your application correctly, the only defence the fund has to uh, you getting a debt write-down is to say that they're being unfairly prejudiced. And then you'll ask them, well, how much you pay for the loan? Because you can't say you've been unfairly prejudiced if you won't tell us what they yeah, pay for the loan. Evidence. And they won't do that. Mm. And therefore, they are uh, fighting that fight with mm. one hand tied behind them. So backs. how many people would have gone through this personal insolvency arrangement? Know, the numbers are relatively low given the overall size of it. We're into the small thousands now. Um, it has been, you know, like any new legal system, it has taken time to bed down. People have had to learn their craft. The courts have had to get used to it. But, you know, it is now functioning and the funds who are uber commercial, they're not, there's no ideology here. They're just commercial. They know it's there. And so if they know that they're going to have to go through a legal process, at the end of which there's going to be a debt write down, who's to say they won't start, you know, incentivising borrowers to do deals with them before having to go through that process? And if there are write downs available, why haven't more people gone through this process? Um, well, as I said, the... You know, it's taken some time. One of the things that was uh, a problem in the system was that uh, there was what they used to call a, a bank veto. And that was there was a vote at the end of your proposal and the big bank, the, the mortgage bank, would could, veto it. could veto it. So the government changed that legislation last year. And now there's now a section which says that where they do veto it, you can go to court, appeal that. And again, providing the deal is fair and equitable and the bank is not being or the fund is not being unfairly prejudiced, the court will and they do enforce these deals against the banks. Yeah. So that's a very, I've got to say, that's one of the, that's almost unprecedented in the world where you can force debt write down against secured creditors. It does exist in this country. So borrowers are extremely protected. They're more protected here than anywhere else. And the problem is if you overprotect borrowers, you end up, 
you know, with people not paying their debts. And that then, as Cliff says, acts as a as a weight on the bank's balance sheet, which causes the bank to be less able to, you know, lend. Sure. And that then has a problem down the road. And that's implications for taxpayers, obviously, because yeah. we uh, majority own both of the banks. But just um, just going back to the permanent uh, TSB release yesterday evening, because they uh, gave us some detail around the loan sale and what kind of uh, borrowers were involved and, and so on and so forth. They suggested that some people, and they just said some, they didn't put a number on it, uh, some people hadn't paid for seven years, yeah. hadn't engaged with the bank for seven years. So suggesting that there are a lot of strategic defaulters in this cohort that, they're, that they've brought to market and they're looking to uh, sell off. Do you, do you buy that? I do. And it may not even be strategic defaulters. The people might be long gone. So, but because it was at one stage uh, an owner an owner occupied property or a family home, the banks have to go through this palaver before they can get any get a, a repossession order. So, yes, there is a real problem out there of debts not being serviced, and there being no legitimate reason for them not being serviced, and nothing happening. And that's not good for anybody. Uh, it just isn't. And we need to take a hold of this. And I think one of the problems is the banks are not really suited to do this job because they have to have long term they, they, they lend their main job is to maintain deposits and not lose people's deposits and after that they lend money and they have they expect the money back in accordance with the rules when you've got a kind of a whole scale default like you have on the mm. permanent book it really is somebody else's job to fix that it's not really a bank's job and that's where i think these funds who are expert in this area both you know they've trained in the US and they've been in the UK they know how it works they know there's a psychology uh, to it and they're good at it now I heard uh, you know Michael McDool in the Shannons the other day you know describing them as gouging people and I think that's unfair I think that uh, in the commercial world when you're dealing with really bigger sums there, it's a far more aggressive uh, battle but when it comes to home loans my experience of the funds is they do not want a fight they want it resolved and they will you know they will negotiate they will work with you as best you can but they're not pushovers either. But then there's the backdrop of personal insolvency, which adds a, an extra protection to borrowers. Yeah. Mind you, I mean, a borrower might say, well, you know, I owe X amount on my loan. I've still got 15 years to go. Uh, OK, I haven't engaged with the bank for a few years. I was in tough circumstances, etc. Now I find that they're going to sell my loan at a big discount. We can only assume there's going to be a big uh, haircut applied to the price that's uh, ultimately paid by whatever private equity fund uh, buys these loans. Um, so that private equity fund is getting my loan uh, at a big discount, but they're not offering to pass it on to me. Yeah, I mean, this has been an argument that's been raised. So that from is, time I mean, from. is that not gouging? Well, I mean, it's, the fund is not gouging there. But I mean, what are we saying? We're saying the permanent needs to go to these defaulting borrowers and say to them, do you want to buy your loan? By definition, they can't pay the loan as it is now. How are they going to? buy the loan, even at a discount, in real terms. And the administrative nightmare that that would be. And then they, they agree to buy your loan, but or sell the loan to you, but they won't take Cliff's loan. And then he goes to court and sues them for treating him differently to treating you. I mean, it's it sounds OK in theory. But why can't but they recalibrate the loan? Why can't they say, listen, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll take it down by 10, 15, 20 percent, whatever, whatever it might be. They do so that. They do that. They do. They, instead they, of owing us half a million, you owe us 400,000. Well, permanent, for example, do split mortgages. So they'll say to you, OK, you owe us 300,000. Pay us on 150,000. We park the, 150, the other 150,000 for 20 years. People still don't. Uh, 
engage. So what can they do? Well, why would you? Because in 20 years' time, you're still going to owe the other 150. Oh, yes. And that, who knows? That, Nobody a, knows what's going to happen to that. That's a problem with the split mortgage. And in fact, the courts in the personal insolvency system have criticised the split mortgage. They think it is an Irish solution to Irish problem. It's kicking it down the road and hoping it'll be OK. They're saying, no, no, let's do a different thing. Let's just write the debt down. Yeah. Let's write it down now to a debt that you can afford now and provided that is at or about the value of the current value of the property, let's get on with it. And that's actually mm. happening now. Patrick Honohan, funnily enough, the former governor of the Central Bank of Ireland said that uh, split mortgages were the solution to the uh, problem uh, some, some years ago. But mm. anyway, um, we, won't, uh, we won't hold that against him. Um, Cliff, is this just political posturing by Fianna Fáil? And wh- what are the government saying? There's certainly a bit of taking political advantage of the situation here. There's no doubt about that. That said, there, there may be a gap in the regulatory regime. Uh, as the Ross, Central Bank did suggest to government, didn't they, back yeah. in 2015, when regulation was brought in for credit servicing firms, they did actually recommend to government that it should be the owners that be regulated. They did, and I, and I understand that is, that is still their position. But doing that is, is tricky as well, because if you are trying from the Irish Central Bank to regulate a fund that is, for example, domiciled in Luxembourg and managed from London, uh, that's not easily done by the Irish Central Bank. It wouldn't have the powers to do that. So technically... So why did the, they recommend it? The, well, the funds might have to set up a, be obliged to set up a branch here, for example, right. or, or some kind of entity that, that could be regulated. What advantage or additional protection that gives to the borrower compared to the current situation where the credit service firm is, is, is regulated is, you know, is, is, is questionable. It, it would seem appropriate now to look and see are there gaps there. Um, there are... A, a, couple of particular situations. One, for example, where people have been on arrangements with uh, with permanent TSB or AIB if their sale comes up, uh, for example, on split mortgages or, or situations like that where they have been servicing uh, loans which have been restructured and there are agreements in place. Uh, and they may, they may look for some comfort in terms of how the new owner of the loans is going to treat them. You know, there, there, there may be gaps in the legislation that need to be dealt with there. But as Ross said, you know, in broad terms, the consumer protections are there, the consumer protections are in place. And I think we're looking at, cl- at closing gaps. And, you know, I would be sceptical about the the ability of the Irish Central Bank to, to, to regulate the owners in a meaningful way or, or, or the extent to which that is going to give additional protection. I mean, I think... Probably what's underneath this is 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 a fear, and a legitimate fear, on behalf of some borrowers that you know, as Ross said, things are not going to be allowed to drag on now by the new owners of the loans. Uh, one of the problems we had uh, is is that the Irish banks have been too slow to deal with this, and as you said, you know, there are cases where they certainly should have, you know, should have been prepared to write down borrowings. You know, they weren't prepared to do that. Everyone left this on the back burner while the banks were, you know, allowed to move back to profitability and health. I think everyone felt that they, you know, they weren't going to be able to afford to take more write-offs, uh, you know, back three or four years ago. And, and that may not be the case now. But for whatever reason, you know, the problem wasn't wasn't dealt with. And, and you know, we are the prisoners of, prisoners of history in, in dealing with it now. And there are so many different situations. I don't think people would have much sympathy for somebody who hasn't engaged with a bank for seven years. I mean... Well, John McGuinness, the uh, chair of the Oireachtas Finance Committee, who's uh, Fianna Fáil TD, he seems to have a lot of sympathy uh, well, for them. I, I, and he I, wants to call permanent TSB and, and any other Irish banks who are planning portfolio sales of residential mortgages. He wants to call them in front of the committee for them to provide more details on these yeah. uh, loans. Well, well I have a lot of sympathy for someone who's been doing their best to service a split mortgage, for example, 
you know, who's been trying to uh, service a mortgage, who's been doing their, their best to deal with the bank, but hasn't been able to because their finances haven't allowed it. I think everyone would have sympathy with that kind of person. But somebody who hasn't engaged with a bank for seven years, my, you know, my first question to permanent TSB is, you know, how has that been allowed to happen? Uh, you know, how is a situation being allowed to drag on to yeah. drag on like that? That's ha- a fair have, point. Have yeah. they been trying to contact these people? Yeah. Maybe in some cases, Ross said that you know the, the houses are, aren't aren't occupied anymore. The people are gone. The people are, yeah. are are living overseas. I don't know, but it does seem remarkable. Ross, you're dealing with these uh, a lot of these uh, cases on a day to day basis. So how, how is it a permanent TSP or maybe other banks have allowed it to get to a, a stage where you know seven years on, uh, customers haven't been engaged with them? I think the bank is overwhelmed. I mean, there's a bit of a history to this. So we had the beginnings uh, in 2010 years ago. And then you sort of everybody assumed that this was going to bounce back quickly enough. And it didn't. And then you had the, the start mortgages and gun case in 2011, which stopped repossessions up to kind of 13, 14. Uh, I mean, there's been some central bank uh, uh, work done, which shows that that did have an effect on causing people, you know, to stop paying. Um and then when that was fixed in late 2013, early 2014, the banks ramped that up again and suddenly we're in 2018. So, you know, time passes quickly enough and the system is uh, really, really slow. And the only way to work this is really to get on top of it and to, it's a, an administrative, a big administrative thing to get on top of it and to go after people and find out what's going on here, guys. And you really need to engage with us. And not really to be looking at the courts because that's going to be a, you can use it as a threat, but that's not where the solution is. It's it's for the banks or the fund, in this case the funds, to engage, eyeball people and say, we've got to come up with a solution here. And through mm. that pressure, the psychology of it, ultimately it does work. It's not, not necessarily going to be comfortable, but other than that, we just... You know, leave it as it is, and that's yeah. not. A, I don't believe that's a good, a good thing. There for will anybody. be a number of mortgage holders out there, Ross, who will look at this situation and say, well, "Why is it that big corporates or big business people, uh, etc., can get their debts written down or written off? Maybe in some cases, particularly if we take IBRC and the liquidation process uh, there, because there were Irish nationwide mortgages uh, sold off there, and people, you know, they they weren't offered the opportunity um, uh, for a write down or a write off, uh, unlike a lot of the corporates who were. Um, so and they would say well it's, it seems to be one rule for them and one rule for us and it's the small person again who's getting screwed yeah um, I mean if you want a write off you can get it now through the legal system uh, but if you want to hold on to the property a write down a, 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 well a write down a write off I mean you can give the Presumably property you'll only get a write off if you hand the keys back hand the keys back and uh, you can um, file for bankruptcy then the debt was all gone but assuming you want to hold on to the property, you're going to have to be able to afford uh, at least the value of the property. That's what the system says. Uh, typically, what the corporates do is they refinance. So I can't pay you the hundred million I owe you, but uh, you know, the assets behind it are worth twenty million, and I have twenty million which I've borrowed from somebody else. It would be difficult for ordinary borrowers to get refinancing. So the personal insolvency system goes further, and it says, "Okay, AIB." This guy can't pay the 200,000 he owes you, but he can pay 100,000. So we're writing off the debt and you must continue to 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 lend him 100,000 euro. So they AIB are forced to stay in the deal. That is, by any standards, uh, huge protections for a borrower, pretty much unprecedented anywhere else. And that will apply to the funds as well. So, you know, there are lots of write-offs, there are deals, there are protections and mixing up individual customers with corporates and saying, why don't we get the same? And the banks all got bailed out and we didn't get bailed out. It's all, it's fine as a political catch cry, 
But in real terms, it's meaningless and it's not going to help anybody. Uh, Cliff Taylor, uh, what's the experience in other countries? Are we, you know, where are we on the scale of solutions to this kind of a problem? Uh, I, I think we were hit. Uh, we were hit worse in the crash, uh, certainly than most other countries. I mean, one of the issues here, obviously, is we have a much higher level of uh, of home ownership than other countries. Uh, that said, there are other countries in Europe where the banks have significant uh, blocks of non-performing loans. Uh, Italy is one, for example, that is that is uh, generally identified, and there would be a lot of interest in the Irish system and how the European regulators deal with what's happening there versus what's happening in the Irish situation, and uh, you know any any uh, suggestion that they're going easier on the Italian banks would not be you know not be greeted very well in Dublin. But I I think we ha- we had a particular problem uh, because of the high level of uh, of home ownership in this country, and because of the extent of the property crash, the huge property crash. You know we and it's in terms of residential mortgage holders. Uh, uh, we have uh, we have one of the worst situations, uh, the worst situations in, in in Europe, and obviously, I mean, the property crash here was one of the worst, mm. worst seen in history, and that's that's the genesis of it. And is it fair that the actual account holders at this stage don't know whether or not their loans are being included in this portfolio? Yeah, sale? I have a bit of a difficulty with that. You know, I think in the interest of, of transparency, they should know. Uh, certainly, there's an obligation for them to be told when the loan is sold within a particular period of time. Uh, you would you would think that they that that they should be told uh, that their loan is in um, the loan is in this bundle. There's not much they could do about it. Uh, if if it's a performing loan, um, sure, uh, some other bank might take you on. But most of the loans involved in this in this pile are non-performing mm. loans, so they're not going to be able mm. to move their loans. So there really isn't, I suppose, a lot they could do in the interest of transparency. They, they should probably be told. But I'm not sure there's a lot that they could uh, they could do about it. Um, well, I mean, it is what it is. They don't have to tell them until it happens. Uh, they obviously have to announce to the market that it's about to happen or that there's going to be a tender. So uh, people know that uh, this is going to happen and, and they may or may not be I- in it. But, but I, I would stress, Kieran, that for the borrower, nothing is changing. Uh, they All the contractual stuff stays the same. All the protections stay the same. The only difference is if you are defaulting and you're not in an arrangement, there is going to be a day of reckoning. And that day, and every borrower knows that day is coming sometime. And this will take, by the way, the process of selling the loan and then of the loans and then for it to be, uh, there's a word they use, where the, the, the loans are taken from one system and put onto the new system. It's a year before anything happens. So you've got a year. Uh, if you're in, if you're in, if you're one of these loans before Mr. Fund will be knocking on your door, and you know that's uh, given that the seven or eight or ten years have yeah, passed sure. by, you know nothing happens in this world at speed. Well, we've had a lost decade already. How long do you think it'll be before this non-performing loan issue, this whole sort of mortgage default issue, is yeah. fully resolved? I think if the funds, t- the more they take, the quicker it happens. So, assuming the funds do proceed with these transactions. I think we're looking at five years from today, which is 15 years from from the crash. If the funds are not allowed or Fianna Fáil or somebody stopped them, then this is an ongoing problem for an indefinite period of time. And is it a case that if a fund takes over your loan, that basically within three to five years, they want to be rid of it in Absolutely. one way, shape or form? So, so there's a couple of different things they look at. First of all, they say to you, Kieran, I tell you what, give us back the keys we write off the debt. Interested in that? You say, no way, I need to stay in this place. Then they go through their normal suite of solutions. If that works, great. They will then sell the loan to Bank of Ireland when it's as a performing loan. 
because they're in it long term. If that doesn't work and you go into personal insolvency and we get a deal through that, they'll sell the loan to Bank of Ireland. If there has to be an enforcement process, that'll take years and, and they're not going to hang around for that. That'll get sold on again at some point. Right, OK. And finally, Cliff, what are the chances of the government stepping in here and, and preventing permanent TSB or AIB from uh, executing these loan sales? Yeah, it's a tight call. I think they, the indications are at the moment they, they will probably let the, the sales go ahead uh, and they'll probably um, do something in the regulatory area to try and increase the... Um, increase the protection for borrowers. As Ross said, whether that protection is more, uh, you know, what the reality is behind any new rules, I, I, I do think it's questionable. But it, I think what's, what we'll see probably over the next couple of days is Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael trying to agree on some kind of a deal, uh, some kind of a legislative change. Fianna Fáil have published proposals today. Uh, they've published a, a bill which would amend the legislation already in place. I think we'll we'll see Pascal Donoghue and Michael McGrath, the Fianna Fáil spokesman, meeting and seeing can they come to some arrangement on that. Uh, but despite that, I, I think this story is going to run and run and inevitably when the loans are sold, uh, we, you know, we'll see cases coming before the courts and, uh, you know, the controversy, much like the tracker mortgage controversy, I think this one is, is, is going to run and run. Yeah. Okay. That's it for this week from Inside Business. My thanks to Cliff Taylor, Ross McGuire, and Peter Hamilton. Jennifer Ryan produced the show with JJ Vernon, a sound engineer. Don't forget that you can get the latest business news straight into your inbox by signing up to our business today email at irishtimes.com. And you can also follow the Irish Times business feed on Twitter and Facebook each day. I'm Kieran Hancock. Until next time, take care.